coming up on this episode of The Courage to Change. And and like after school, they would pick me up and then him and like I wouldn't get an after school snack, but we'd go to Little Caesars and he'd get a pizza and crazy bread. Right. And so it was literally like feed Matt, right. bribe Allison. And right. so I literally I started to view food as good or bad or like reward punishment. Yeah. So that kicked in the secret eating. Right. Yeah. Of course, I'm coming downstairs at night and going in the fridge and eating as fast as I can, not even chewing. And so that started the binging. But because I that wasn't an option, I found bulimia pretty early. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Courage to Change Your Recovery podcast. My name is Ashley Loblassengame, and I am your host. Today, we have Allison Haas. Allison is an author, athlete, and recovery advocate. Her success comes from rising above the ashes and pitfalls of addiction, which include drugs, alcohol, work, food, and people-pleasing. This inspired her to take hold of her own journey and quit using external validation to fill her deep, wounded soul. Using fitness, 12 steps, community, hard work, and accountability as her catalyst for change, she has since maintained nearly two decades of sobriety. Allison wrote her first book, The Addict in Aisle 7, in which she wrote to shine a light on the stigma that is both addiction and recovery and to help women quit shaming themselves and step into their fullest potential. Woo woo! Allison in the house. Allison, uh, we had so much fun with this. So, so relatable. Uh, our stories and Allison has a long history with disordered eating and eating recovery. And we talked about that. And we just, I don't even remember what we laughed about. We laughed about so many things. But she is phenomenal. And, you know, almost two decades sober. She's done so much internal work and discovery, which you can tell from talking to her. And she also gave a lot with regard to food. She gave a lot of very specific points around things she does and does not do with food that have helped her along the way. I really think that, you know, it's sometimes when you're struggling, it's important to have specific skills takeaways that you can get from some of these episodes. And she really said, you know, talks about what are the, what are the specific things that she did to maintain or get her recovery. And I, I thought that was incredibly useful. Hopefully that will, that will be useful to you. So my friends, if this is your first time on the podcast, welcome. If you are returning, thank you for being here. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. All right, episode 110, let's do this. You're listening to The Courage to Change, a recovery podcast. We are a community of recovering people who have overcome the odds and found the courage to change. Each week, we share stories of recovery from substance abuse, eating disorders, grief and loss, childhood trauma, and other life-changing experiences. Come join us no matter where you are on your recovery journey. Well, welcome to The Courage to Change. Thank you for being here. Yeah, I'm stoked. I'm seriously so stoked. Oh, before I forget, we start season three episodes with a 
picture, a photo oh, from your childhood, right. um, a, a hair photo. Now, I'm assuming you're the one with the mullet. Yeah, come on. Okay, yeah. we're just making sure. I'm like, <laughs> otherwise, it doesn't make sense. Okay, tell me about this picture and you, oh how God. old are you with the mullet? I'm the worst at ages. I don't even know my own age, but I feel like I had to have been between six and eight there, baby. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Does yeah. Does that look right? I'm not a mom yet, so I really don't know. Yeah, you I could walk and talk and, you know, but yeah, I didn't do that to me. You're six. between four and six. All right, there we go. So okay. drop it down a little bit. Four and six. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, it's funny. So I have this, like, and I've fought it my whole life, but I have curly hair. So like, I've always had curly hair, mm-hmm. but no one ever taught me how to do anything with it, nor did the woman who did my hair, obviously, thanks, mom, know how to do anything with it. So like, I got that, that yep. hacked, that hacked, shapeless mullet. Yeah, mullet. It's like, a real mullet. It's very it's a real mullet. It's a real, there's like definitely. Maybe they were trying to get it to hide under my riding helmet because I was a horseback rider. So right, right. I'll, I'll give her that. So the bangs yeah. just where the visor went. And yeah, then business in the front. I had the helmet and mm-hmm. I didn't need a net because it just was there as right. the helmet. There you go. Business in the front, party in the back all day long. Awesome. <laughs> and is that your father? Grandpa. Grandpa. Grandpa and my little brother. Oh, and the yeah. two doggies. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, so you grew up in Maryland. Did yes. you grow up in Baltimore? Around. We say Baltimore, right? Like if you right. don't know the state, you just say totally. the suburb. city people recognize. Yeah. So suburb right. of. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. And when you, so a big part of your story is that you've always been into horseback riding. You had your second horse by the time you were 11. And that was, that's been a big part of your story, even through sobriety how did you, when did you start using and did that affect your horseback riding? Yeah, I credit horses with saving my life. Like I know some people don't consider it a sport, but it is. And it's also like I was responsible for something else besides me. So in a lot of ways, and of course this is hindsight, I wouldn't have had this language, but they were my higher power, right? Like I, they were bigger than me. And so I started riding when I was three that was my sport full time by like nine. And then like you just said, second horse by 11. And then I started using shortly after that, but I never stopped showing up for them. And so my using right. was under the radar largely because I never stopped showing up for them. And yeah, they carried me into getting sober in college. And um, it was it was them or not them, right? Like keep using and lose them or keep them and stop using. And thank God I was like, that was an easy decision for me. So I kept riding. So there's a boys program that a a young boys treatment program where part of the program is that they give every boy and the the parents know this, every boy who comes into the program and it's long-term six months, what have you, they get an AKC registered lab, I think it is like a yellow lab, every single one. And they take that dog home with them. And part of their treatment, part of their actual treatment, all of them is to care for this dog, to give it everything it needs. It is that kid's responsibility. And it is, it is the almost like a center focal point of the program. I mean, you literally leave with this dog. That's part of it. That's brilliant. And, and what you're talking about reminds me of that as a center point, like I am that ability for a child to feel that, that connection, that lack of judgment and that level of responsibility. I can see how that would be life-changing. 
Yeah, you just nailed it with the lack of judgment. Like I didn't feel unconditionally supported anywhere else in my life. And so when I showed up at the barn, like no matter what, they were going to be there Mm -hmm. and they were going to be okay with whatever condition I showed up in, which was usually shit. (laughs) So yeah, and I had to take care of them, right? So right, right. And dogs for sure are cheaper than horses. So I think that's a really smart way to go. (laughs) Everybody gets, everyone gets a horse. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, even the get everyone getting a dog, it was like, wow, that is intense. Right. Um, Yes. But, but when you, you know, when you think it through, like what that provides, I, I, in early sobriety, my dog was everything for me. And I remember like being in the midst of the worst depressions. And he was the only reason I got out of bed because he had to go out for a walk. So that was the only, like, I knew that if I knew that if I couldn't show up for my dog, basically game over, game over. So yeah, I love that. So you, you start the first, your first addiction, which I completely relate to is, you know, all things to do with food in our body. And I can imagine that horseback riding the you know the weight and you as the as the person riding and all of that would would play a a a role in that how how did your eating disorder form now this is all me looking back right and me my version of the truth reality jury's out right so we release you of any liability thank you listening that knows me yeah Yeah. so you know i remember being having the model of a body is your worth and the smaller the body the better mm-hmm. and the more you do with body the better right mm-hmm. so i i witnessed this and looking back i've never been fat like even if i i it just isn't true right. uh, but as we all know in the moment we feel differently mm-hmm. and feeling is fact so i remember always feeling bigger and too big and watching someone and people only ever talk about bodies and try and shape bodies. Mm. And I, I, I started to model that behavior myself. And I remember being fed differently than my brother. And yeah, so that's interesting. What's that about? I don't know if it was a protective like, guise, what would that look like? like, so I would get like peas and rice okay. and he would get mac and cheese out of the box. So they literally in this, literally. Episode, your mother would literally provide and it wasn't it wasn't a, a preference thing. It would they would literally provide. No, I want mac and cheese. Are you kidding? Come yeah, on, load I me mean, up. I don't I need don't anything know. else, right? Listen, <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to judge you on your your. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. want to go ham on peas? Maybe, maybe right, that's right. the thing. Right? Now, yes, but yes. then no, no. And and like after school, they would pick me up and then him and like I wouldn't get an after school snack, but we'd go to Little Caesars and he'd get a pizza and crazy bread. Right. And so it was literally like feed Matt, right. deprive Allison. And right. so I literally, I started to view food as good or bad or like reward punishment. Yeah. So that kicked in the secret eating, right? Yeah. Of course, I'm coming downstairs at night and going in the fridge and eating as fast as I can, not even chewing. And so that started the binging. But because I, that wasn't an option, I found bulimia pretty early. And it took all forms. It could have been starving all day and then eating all night. It could have been laxatives, diet pills, exercise, actual purging. And then, you know, drugs and alcohol honestly saved me from my eating disorder and and kind of stalled it for a while because I didn't give a shit, right? Like I'd just get high and be like, whatever, right? Like don't care about this that I have going on. Don't care what I eat. 
don't care about anything, actually. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I relate I relate to that so much where it was like I really believe that when I find drugs I'm like, "Oh, I don't have to be fat and I don't have to care." Wonderful. This works. Yeah, Let's perfect. Sold. Fit. Yeah, yeah, sold. <laughs> and if I am fat, I don't care. Problem exactly. was like, I wasn't fat, but I lost, you know, I was like going bald. So, you know, it's like Oh, well, some trade-off, right? It's right. <laughs> totally. We can overcome. So what did your, um, when you were 16, you snorted heroin for the first time. How did that go? And how did you find heroin? So it went really well. Okay. Good. Um, <laughs> I, yeah. So it's one of those things like, and we all say, I mean, I, I'll just stick with me, but like, I'm never going to do that. Oh, right. So sure. Right. Right. I'm never going to do that. And so no. where would I but, even you know, find it? Right. As but as I scaled in my use, mm-hmm. the people I found got worse and worse and older and older. So <laughs> they had a, a, a longer reach to things uh-huh. that uh-huh. I wouldn't otherwise even know existed. Right. And I had already been doing oxys and things like that, but they're expensive. And so I remember dating a guy who was older and mm-hmm. because they were expensive, he was getting heroin. And yeah. so I, re- I, I vaguely remember him like telling me about it and that I didn't have to do it, but that if I wanted to, it would be fine and I would feel okay. I, like All I cared about was like, how am I going to feel the next day and can I get to the barn? Like, right. honestly, that was right. like, am I going to be hungover? Are people going to know? Like, right. can I, because we were going out to like a party. I'm pretty sure his parents were at this party, probably knowing me. And so eventually like I'm snorting heroin and it was like the best night of my life. Like I was, I, cause that level of care that I had not managed yet to find release from was, was it like I, I numbed out. Yep. And, and that was how I like to use. I, cause I knew if I got too happy, I was going to slide back down into like the pit of despair for the rest of my life and die that way. So I really like to just not feel at all. Yes. And because I'm extremely feelings oriented now, I, I really like I strove for nothingness and dope did that for me instantly. And then, you know, I didn't use for very long. Thank God. I got very sick many times. That doesn't matter. Right. It's like I'm never <laughs> doing that again until a few hours from now. Right. Yep, like yep. I just that mm-hmm. hitting hitting the lack of feeling. It was I, I just I was like, OK, here we go. This is it nothingness. Yeah. It's heroin has a special way of, you know, of, of taking it all away. I never really was able to manage. And this is just like classic Ashley to figure out the place where you could still function and like talk to anyone. (laughs) So that's impressive. Um, yeah, like definitely skip that level of things was full nod drool, like the whole thing. Um, (laughs) but, but, uh, I hear that people can walk while they do it. Uh, yeah, only in the beginning, though. Like, I oh, missed okay. that mark very soon after okay, that. Okay. And that's why I didn't drink, because I could never not throw up in a trash can. And so if I did drink, I would just get a little trash can and carry it around with me because I knew I was going to throw up. But yeah. I didn't want to not drink. Yeah. So I just carried the trash can around. I mean, that makes complete sense to me. Efficiency. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, efficiency. efficiency. I want not... you to know I'm here, but yeah. this is the condition. So I'm just yeah. going to hang out with my trash just can. Gonna ha- I'm just going to, I wore diapers when I started peeing myself. <laughs> I was like, uh, oh, we have a problem. God. You know, yeah. just 
just problem solving. So you, and the, the dating of the older guy piece, like I, I have that all throughout my story. I think there's this formula for young women that it's like overachiever mm-hmm. and body image eating, finds drugs and sexuality, dates older guys, uses hard drugs. It, like, I feel like it's like, a full, what's the problem? Yeah. yeah also amazing. But, <laughs> but I feel like it's this for, I meet so many people where it's literally our story of like how, and I think it's, you know, okay, we're young, you know, young girls finding, we need to find drugs. There's older guys that are interested in us. Why would we say no? Yeah, why? Yeah. What's wrong with this picture? Yeah. What's, yeah. You like, can't get um, me what I need. Yeah. Yeah. And like all the validation in the world, the younger guys don't understand this guy is like, okay, winning. Never mind the fact that we've, they're interested in like a barely pubescent or whatever, but we don't care. So you are dating this guy and does he come with, then you go to college or does he stay? Yeah. So I went to college and he stayed. Yeah. So he, he, how old was he? He was out of school already by several years. And so I went up, I came up to Pennsylvania to go to school and he stayed home. And I, I think we tried to date for like a minute and it just fizzled out. And he started hanging out with one of my former friends because he wasn't really here for me. Right. So yeah, I went to school without him. And then I, I just, um, I got sober in November of my first semester. So I, I commuted for a couple, I didn't commute. I commuted for drugs for the first couple months. So I'd go back and forth to get what I needed because no one was doing what I was doing where I went. So I was like, all right, so I have a car, so I'm going to drive home and then I'll come back because it was like a two hour drive. Did it surprise you that no one else was doing, like when you showed up to college, were you like, oh, where are the heroin parties? Like, were you really surprised? Yeah, that was my first like, maybe this isn't normal. And like, I didn't care that it wasn't normal, but it was my first like, Hmm. Because people are like literally smoking pot for the first time and drinking beer. And I'm like, what the hell have you been doing with your life? Like, get it together. You know, like, let me go snort something in the bathroom. I'll be right back. And when I come back, let me know if you're interested. Oh my God. Yeah. And also you ended up in the same place too. So it's not like you can even say, oh, wasted time. You're like, no, I literally, you didn't do anything. I was doing heroin. We are in the same place. You fucked up. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. You fucked up. You've been missing out here big yes. time. Yeah. So you get sober in a in a way that's actually, you know, relatively painless, so to speak, you know, yeah. no, no yeah. Um, real, you know, trauma. Tra- you, you skipped a lot of trauma, which is fantastic. How how did that come about? What was the situation where you got sober? Yeah. So it literally I went home one weekend and good old Ames. I had a conversation. I left the box up and my dad found the box. So I had shit on me and he called me out and I wouldn't give it to him. And like, it took me years in recovery to let go of the shame of not having a guns ablazing fallout dramatic ending. Mm, Right. Like, cause I I didn't go to rehab. I never got arrested. I wasn't old enough to lose stuff per se, but, but I, I, I didn't have the story that we hear, right? I know. Which now I I really try and emphasize because I'm like, you don't need to have that. Right. Like, I'm so grateful now that I'm clean slated, right? Yeah. I literally lived my entire adult life sober without this decorated 
shit resume that only we in 12-step recovery or any kind of recovery think is okay, cool, right? Or funny. Right. Like no one else thinks this is funny. And I'm, right. and I, I, so it took a long time, but like quite literally like left the house, trash bag full of clothes, different older guy I was dating or no, this was an ex, but whatever. He picks me up. Eventually I end up at back at school. I don't have any of my stuff. Dad calls the dorm and he's like, drug counseling or buy horses. And I'm like, not a problem. I will go to whoever, whenever you want. And when you say buy horses, you mean like- Goodbye, like get goodbye. rid of. Yeah. 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 And uh, I had two at the time and they were near school and that was my life. Yeah. That was my entire life. So yeah. thank God. Like, cause I know a lot of people had like baseball or I don't know, something. And that's not, that. that's not enough. Right. And so not saying that other people with horses in their lives got sober, but like I said, higher power, right. Like they were bigger than yeah. me. And baseball doesn't rely on you for, for sustenance. Right. So right, interesting, right. interesting to see that dynamic. Yeah. And it's a living being, right. Like right. you already said, like that connectedness, right. it's a spiritual connection, lack of judgment. Like that was my, that was my safe haven. Right. So then you go to drug counseling. What what does that look like? So this was the first time I met a breathing, living female, super sexy, savvy alcoholic in recovery. Like I never had heard of an alcoholic who called themselves that and wasn't drinking. Like, and I, because mm. re- I really thought like bag of, of booze under a bridge, trench coat, no teeth. Totally. Old I'm totally. like, not me. Right. Clearly. Yeah. Yeah, just so really this woman. Yeah. yeah, no, I'm lacking a few things. And um, this woman just totally shared herself as this recovering alcoholic and, you know, did the questions, right? I'm puking in the trash can and wearing my beanie in the summer and just like mm-hmm. can't, can't have eye contact. Eyes are pinned out, you know, but I'm fine. I just like to get high sometimes. She's like, well, heroin isn't really a sometimes and this is not normal. And so I... Um, I'm a rule follower and I'm also a people pleaser. And so I saw this woman and I was like, I'm probably going to just do what she says. So I saw her, I feel like in October or something. And so I put together a few weeks of just dry time, just not using, did all the same things, just didn't with, do it with substance. And I felt better enough physically that I was like, this could work because I was right. so sick all the time. Right. And I, I didn't realize how awful that was until I, I wasn't sick all of a sudden. Right. Totally. Yeah. That was hugely motivating to me. And I remember my first meeting was Halloween. So I go dressed as a slutty cowgirl. (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) To my my first AA meeting, Uh, I'm 18 years old. My uh hair is super Uh long at the time, like just the whole thing. And Mm -hmm. I just remember plastic chairs, awful lighting, smoking (laughs) in the back room. And like, I felt just like a raw piece of meat in this room. And I just, it, I couldn't have felt more awkward. Right. Mm-hmm. And I did well, you what were she said. As a cowgirl. A slight, slightly brought that on myself. When <laughs> I see young women today, I'm like, hold on, honey. Like, let's revamp this. Please wear <laughs> like, you know, cover, you know, we're not, all, we're not all well here. Um, um, so, you know, I, I got my first chip and I said who I was and I just, I was horrified. I was just horrified. The guy sharing was this older black dude with a million years and I had nothing in common with him. And I was like, I'm out. So I, I, I drank for like 10 days straight. Don't remember a thing. And then I came back to her and I was like, and cause I had that enough time physically not sick. And I was like, I want that back. 
Mm-hmm. And so, so November 11th of 2003 is my standing sobriety date. And what did you, on November, after that 10 days on November 11th, what did you do in order to get rid of all the substances? What was the shift? Well, she slightly conned me into introducing me to a young college boy who needed help. So mm-hmm. part of it was intensive outpatient therapy three times a week. And she she had me go back to meetings. And so I had a car at the time, didn't want to go. She said, there's a guy, he's handsome. He looks like he needs some help. I'm like, great, what's the address, right? So I spotted him right away. And he's sober too, to this day, which is amazing. And people didn't believe us, but like never once did we kiss, did we cross that boundary because we knew we would die if we didn't keep it separate. And so he wanted to go to meetings, didn't have his car. So I'm like, well, I'm going to take you and save you, right? And fix you. So and then I'm like, and I'm not going to sit in the car while you're in this meeting. So like, that's how I started going. And I, there were enough young people. I did a lot of NA at the time too, because there were more young people in NA uh, than there were in AA at the time. And like, it didn't matter. I qualify for all of them, literally. But there was stuff going on, right? Like we went to the beach, we went to Mm -hmm. conventions, we went to the diner, we smoked all the cigarettes and ate all the shit. And Mm -hmm. we we had parties, like we'd have black tie parties, we had twister parties, like so fun. We learned how to live again. Yeah, it was an amazing time. Amazing time. And I just learned that like, my life wasn't over. Because that was my even though I, I had no life, like, I I was convinced I would be boring and miserable and life would be over. And like, total opposite. I was like, exhausted. I started going to raves, right? Mm-hmm. When I got sober yep. and just had a blast. We we literally did. I just said yes to everything. We just did everything. And and simultaneously, I was building the foundation, right? I, I was, I, I got a home group. I did all the things they say to do, like home group, sponsor, step work, be of service. And I did that for a few years. And then I, I just, I swapped out my, well, my eating disorder came back. And I also swapped out my alcoholism for workaholism. And mm. I eventually just, I didn't go to meetings probably for, I want to say two or three years, enough time that I got pretty crazy and my eating disorder came back full force, but I didn't drink or drug, but like I have enough substance to pick up that I don't really need those things to get out of myself. And I was dating another older guy who wasn't very nice. I met him in, in the rooms and he had nice calves and he hugged me and I was like, all I need. Right. And uh, he is my ideal mate. He is my ideal mate. I don't know anything about him. Right. Um, And so, you know, I and I had no money, no money. Right. Uh, And he he did. So I was like, this this will work. This will work. This will do. This will do. So, yeah. So I so that was the beginning of my sobriety and then a little hiatus. And then ultimately I came back. But I'll pause so I don't get too far ahead. Oh, no, I, I love, I got sober at 19 and I love, you know, I just relate so much to what you're talking about because I think I, first of all, I was like, okay, my life is over. Like I'm Mm going to be boring and not cool and lame, but like you described, my life was not cool, fun. (laughs) I don't like when I, but I was so concerned about it. I mean, I was really it was, you know, it was a real barrier to entry for me, except that my life wasn't super right. cool and fun. So I, I'm not sure where I came up with that, but I've never partied as hard as I did in early I know. School. Like we fucking partied. I know. I was, and, I didn't go to, I didn't sleep. 
Oh my God. I, we, I mean, we would go to Akipa, Askipa, you know, all the, all the young people's conferences all over the country and, you know, raves in Vegas, yes. for, you know, just so it's much. Amazing. It was so fun. And I mean, I were, people thought we were drinking. Yeah. Oh yeah. We fit yeah. right in. Yeah, we, right were, in. we were doing, we were just fine. You know, at yeah. a certain point of, of sleep loss, you start to act, yeah, you act like it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yep. You start to sleep with people the same way you would if you were drunk. So oh, worse. Yeah, we are worse. <laughs> exactly. So the eating disorder piece that comes back and I, you know, I, that is, that is so my story where it's like that eating disorder because you make your drug addiction and your alcoholism big enough to overshadow it. Yep. So you're like, oh, it's gone. Like you don't yeah. have to deal with it. And then yeah. you deal with that and here it is. And it is fucking gnarly. It is yeah. fucking gnarly. How did it come back? Like, what did it look like when it came back for you in terms of, because you you said, you mentioned bulimia and all the ways. I don't think everybody knows that bulimia can be anorexia. I'm sorry, exercise bulimia. Like there's different types of bulimia. Bulimia does not just mean throwing up. Yeah. What did it look like when it came back for you? So initially it was early sobriety. It was all of a sudden, like I had this preoccupation with body again. Right. And I was aware that I had a body and that seemed like the easiest thing to control as opposed to just handling my feelings, which were insane. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, The anxiety, the inability to sleep, uh, just that, that unnerved raw nerve feeling at all times. And so it started very, very benign. Like, started to go running, started to lift. I, I'm a fitness freak. So like my disease, there's a delicate balance between yeah. like what's healthy and what's disease. And I've heard your many podcasts. So, that, uh, you know, I know like we talk about disease as just my thinking, right? right? And so, and then it was like, skip a meal here or there. Okay. okay. So I did have a long anorexic phase and I think it got worse when I left AA um, for the few years that I did, of course, right? Because, um, and the other thing I will say, and the reason why food recovery is so much harder, and I'm not putting down drugs or alcohol, but you literally can live life without drugs or alcohol, mm-hmm. without using them, without ever seeing them again, without ever being around them. You cannot avoid food. Like it is a non-negotiable part of life. And if you eat, if you take care of yourself, depending, well, whatever, you eat multiple times a day. Like you play with the substance multiple times a day. Oh, and by the way, you have a body and you must walk around in this body all the time. So if you're jacked up about it, guess what? There you go. Here you are, right? So I had a long restrictive phase. And it again, it started really just, I, I didn't eat breakfast one day. And then like I started to get addicted to the hunger because it was a controlled variable. And then it was, shit, I'm going to save some money, right? Because that time I eat every meal out because, you know, right? <laughs> so like, yeah. throw, in some, throw in some, you know, good economics and it's like, how do we not? I mean, yeah. it's good. I'm going to keep business. smoking and getting my Dunkin' Donuts extra large coffee every morning, but I will not pack my food or your so I just won't eat. Your lack of breakfast is funding your, Amen. Yes. your Dunkin' Donuts. It's really, it's, it's an ecosystem. Okay. Yes. Yes. And so, and then like somebody said something one day, right? So like, if we go back to like body is worth, it was like yeah. my Holy grail. And it was like, somebody noticed. And this is one. So I, I actually was a professional horse trainer and horseback rider with a huge business out of college. I, I graduated college and then had my own business for eight years. 
So I, I took it quite seriously. And, um, you know, so it was one of my clients and like nail in the coffin. I was just like, great. So thinner is better. And I started, I was already physically fit from the horses and I did all the manual labor for a while until I could afford to pay someone. But then I added the gym, right? And then I added it more. And at first it was like, I'm going to be stronger to ride better, which mm-hmm. is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then disease took over, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I got like my third major, but probably eighth concussion. I was snowboarding, Jeez. did a flip, fell in the back of my head, iced the whole bit. And right at this time, I'm not going to meetings and like active in my recovery. I'm just active in being an asshole, right? And not <laughs> drinking. And so I get this concussion and it knocked me on my ass. And I remember like, I knew it was bad, but I'm like muscle through it. Cause I do yeah. that with everything. And I remember going the next morning to the barn and I was oh. like, this isn't going to work today. And so I called someone to come take care of the horses and I canceled all my lessons and I just went home and like was in and out. And then one of my clients was like, you really need to go see a doctor. Like your eyes are weird. You're weird. Like you need to go to a doctor. And so I did. And I will never forget sitting in this woman's chair. And I didn't care that I wasn't going to be able to talk again, do math again. I didn't care about anything except that I was going to get fat because she said, you cannot ride. You cannot, you can't do anything physical. Like you can maybe sit in a chair and teach for an hour or two a day, but like any activity you do is going to push blood through your brain and then demote your healing, right? Your brain is bruised right now. And I literally just, and, uh, you know, part of my, my restricting was being busy. Like literally I would not eat at all and then eat dinner and I would eat whatever I wanted, literally like a garbage disposal. And then I was basically full all, all the next day until dinner. And that's just all I did one meal a day. And so now, and I knew I was like, I know I'm hungry and I'm not mm. going to be able to avoid this. And that's when my bulimia, it just like switched overnight. And it got to a point and I also went back to meetings then too. But like at that point I was so enmeshed in my disease that I, I couldn't, it wasn't enough. Right. And so I remember going back to AA and not only feeling like a fraud, not really a fraud, but like, I'm the only one here that does this and can't talk about it. That is fake news. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Very- <laughs> and 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 today when I share my story, like I, tr- I, I plant that seed for other people. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm not going to go on about it, but literally I would die in a plastic chair in Alcoholics Anonymous if I didn't seek out food recovery. So if you want to talk to me about that and there's always people, right? Let me know. Oh, yeah. But, but I really like, no, I'm like, no one talks about this and I can't stop. Like I couldn't stop. And were you throwing, like, were you actively throwing up while you had this healing from this concussion? I think the, con- uh, I don't know, actually. Okay. I also, courtesy of the concussion, don't remember shit. So yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But I do know that when I recovered enough, like, I, it's like, I, it's like, I couldn't starve anymore. It's like my body and brain yeah. literally like, we don't do this. Totally. Ever. And I, I, now I'm like, I, it's inconceivable to me how I did that. Like, I don't know how, I don't know how. Stay tuned to hear more in just a moment. Hi, it's Christiana, your producer. And if you're like me and you love coffee or coffee alternatives, you can now shop with a cause by visiting lionrock.life and clicking on shop. 100% of the profits fund substance abuse treatment for those who can't afford it. You can't really go wrong. 
We're now carrying, in addition to our amazing coffee, if you haven't tried it, matcha maiden organic matcha powder. Love me some green tea. Golden grind turmeric latte blend and prana chai original blend. So we've got something for everyone. We love mixing these delicious coffee alternatives with something like milk or almond milk, oat milk, or even just hot water. The organic matcha powder is vegan-friendly, gluten-free, dairy-free, and simply delectable. The turmeric latte blend, the winner of Australia's Best Beverage product in 2017, helps bring about relaxation and restoration while also nurturing your body. The prana chai, that has been my pregnancy craving, it's amazing, is blended in Melbourne from all natural ingredients and uses 100% Australian quality honey blended by hand with tea and whole spices. By shopping for coffee and coffee alternatives at lionrock.life, you are also helping provide substance abuse treatment for someone who can't afford it. Your favorite drink with a cause. So again, go to lionrock.life, click on shop, and you'll see our coffee and our brand new coffee alternatives. We hope that you enjoy it. Send us a picture. Maybe we will feature you on our Instagram as well. I literally don't understand how people starve themselves. Like I, it is so, I did, I've done a couple fasts, which have, I'm, it's, I can't believe that I've done them. <laughs> um, and they, they've been like supervised and whatever, but there's just restriction is not yeah. a, a thing about me. But you know, what's interesting is that the people I meet who are restrictors, they tend to be restrictors of all, all types. Things. Yes. And they tend yes. to be like, like joy, like joy restrictors and pleasure restrictors. And it really, it's really a mentality. And I'm, I'm like gluttonous in everything. It's a total, yeah, like more, more more of, of just all of it. And so I, I, but I never, I always thought, oh, you're just more disciplined or you can just do something differently. And I think it's a real, like, it's a real personality. It's a thread that goes through your life of kind of how you view scarcity or abundance, mm-hmm. right? Like yep. just yep. time, whether or not there's enough for you. Yeah. It's a, t- it's a mindset. Absolutely. So when you, um, how long did it take to recover from your concussion? I mean, in a lot of honestly years, because I didn't like totally sit it out. Right. And right. they were like, don't exercise so or ride. So I was like, great. So I, it was winter. So I'm, I would go, I would literally power hike with my horses by hand. So I'm leading them because they've got to stay fit too. (laughs) And so I power hike through the woods, like what? With boots in the snow. So like, don't exercise or ride. So this doesn't count, right? Yeah, real real sedentary. Yeah, real sedentary. So I did that for a while and, um, you know, but years and, and cause then I, I was in my bulimia, right? So I'm not nourishing myself, right? right? And, and, you know, by the, but at the, the crux of my bulimia, like I was throwing up involuntarily while talking to people. Like that's how often I was purging. And I remember I had this like 10 to 20 mile radius of, of drive throughs and convenience food places that I would drive through and I would just eat and purge while driving. Like it, it just... Like, how does it work if you're throwing up while having a conversation? Like, how did you, uh, I mean, it would just come up and I would just like, mm. Oh, Oh, okay. 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 Oh okay. yeah. No, I wouldn't yeah. like projectile into their face. <laughs> that would be amazing. Like, can you walk me Could through, you like, imagine? Yeah. Hold you on a second. Yeah, yeah. 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 It was more just like, you know, when you have like that. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I was like, like still wait, unpleasant, but not quite. Yeah. Well, you know, 
What can you say? I have a great smile. <laughs> like, so basically you're projectile vomiting yeah. on all your friends. Okay. Good. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, don't talk to her. <laughs> yeah. 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 Be careful. Wear a mask. Yeah. Wear a mask. They'd fit yeah. in perfect. There you go. Oh so God. you're how long and, and you're going to meetings at this point. Yeah. I think this is the story of a lot of people in mm-hmm. AA where there, we, and a lot of women in particular, where we are attending meetings and suffering in our eating disorder, but it's an outside issue. So we're not talking yep. about it. Yep. And, but it's our alcoholism. It's our, oh, yeah. It's, oh, yeah. it's part of the, the disease, the mentality. How did you seek help for that? What was the, what was the catalyst for that change? So my, uh, the sponsor I got when I came back from my hiatus was a, was no longer bulimic. She wasn't using any kind of recovery anymore, but she just like, wasn't binging and purging anymore. And so she gave me hope. And she also walked me through the big book, which was very helpful to see my shit on paper. But I I can't describe it aside from like, purging was taken from me, like, Mm -hmm. partly by her ask and help. And a lot of this stuff is behavior modification. Like, Mm -hmm. I know it sounds so simple and almost dumb, right? Because we're talking about addiction. But like, For me and my food recovery, so much is a behavior change and modification. So like I literally had to stop purging, like you have to stop purging. So I would talk about it. I would sit on my hands. I would cry, right? Because it was like, how do I not throw up? Like it was what I did. It's just what I did. And I would pace in the driveway, but it, it, and I honest to God have no idea the last time I purged, which is a miracle, but like I it just was no longer an option anymore. And I wish it like, that's how all of it went, but that's just totally. not, not <laughs> what happens. But that's a good start, you know? Like, that is a good start. And I, over the years, like, I went to different nutritionists because um, mm-hmm. a lot of my food stuff, and I am a very active member of OA today, but, like, a lot of my food stuff is more like, I'm bad if I eat that versus I have a physical allergy. Because I do have that too, but not as much as like, I'm bad if I eat that, or I'm going to get fat if I eat that. And so I, I, I did a lot of therapy with, with different women, um, eating disorder specialists and just nutritionists to like help me normalize my relationship with food, just eat normal meals at normal times. And I would do you step, have Do you have alcoholic foods? Dessert. Dessert and honestly today, dessert, which is interesting because I'm in a really interesting phase. And I listened to that sugar addiction podcast of yours with Michael. And I just, I was almost like, you shouldn't listen to it. But I'm like, I want to learn. I want to hear all the things. Oh, you, that was me interviewing him. I'm like, why am I doing this to myself? Yeah. You're like, "Uh, I changed my mind. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, are you sure? Yeah. Yeah. What the research says. Yep. Yep. And so like, Dessert for sure. Like I haven't had dessert in about almost four years, just shy of four years. Dessert. So I'm assuming dessert is sugar because if you had a piece of watermelon as your dessert. Correct. So sugar processed desserts. Yes. Like cake, cookies, brownies. I don't want a cookie. I don't see why anyone would want one cookie. I want, just give me, just give me the apron and let me back there. I don't even want the cook. Don't cook that shit. Give me the fucking cookie dough. <laughs> yes. The, even the better. Whole, you know what I mean? Like yeah, that whole thing. Yeah. Like what? Why are we put? Why do and we involve the oven? my mouth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. So, so yeah. So processed desserts, but like 
And, but that, and that's not true in the beginning, the beginning, everything, I was allergic right. to everything. And a lot of it was fear. I was just terrified right. um, to eat food. And so, you know, when I, so I would step my toe into OA over the years, like I was introduced my first year of recovery. Like it Me wasn't too. news to anyone that yep. this was a thing in my life, but I would just look around and I'm like, don't belong here. Yep. And I, there is a sense of shame when you've already admitted you're an alcoholic, you're a drug addict, your life is over, you're a child, you're not even old enough to drink. And now I'm supposed to go to Overeaters mm-hmm. Anonymous. The worst even... name on the planet. Hello. Yeah. Right? No. Wants to say that. I'm an overeater. I'd rather, <laughs> please, I'd rather say I like, you know, cut my tongue for fun. Amen. I mean, yeah. it's just, just yeah. like, yeah. why can't I, I still, I still stand by my belief that we should call it something else. Like anything oh, yeah. else. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know. Why, why, do I want to go to fat anonymous? Like, <laughs> please. No. I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I was introduced to OA early and then like, and then I even created like an anorexics and bulimics anonymous meeting because like I knew I needed help, but like I, I, but I couldn't admit defeat all at the same time. So it was like, it's a lot. Yeah. it, It was just a lot. And I, and I wasn't done. I just wasn't done. And I wasn't, I didn't have a strong enough third step and belief in something bigger than me that cared about me, that I deserved freedom from that too. And so like my recovery, I, I guess my disease just got less over time. Um, it was not like drinking or drugging where like I just got sober. And I hate to make it sound so easy, but compared to what I've experienced with food, it really oh, was. And, um, you know, and over the years, like I, I've, I've dabbled with fitness stuff. Like dabbled. <laughs> Listen to you. Dabbled. I've dabbled with fitness stuff. Uh, pretty sure I've dabbled with fitness stuff. You were in a bodybuilding competition. Just not a dabbling. Few. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I have trophies I'm looking at actually. Yeah. So I, so I sold my horse business. I quit riding, which is like, obviously from what I've shared, like, wait, what, how did that happen? And basically I turned my passion and my love into a, a have to and Mm -hmm. a means of making money. And I lost my passion and it's a hard business. It's a grind. The people are fucking nuts. And just (laughs) me, I'm there, right? Like me included. And I just, I hated it. And I was getting hurt. Like it just wasn't fun anymore. And I wasn't a millionaire. So like there were really no compelling arguments to keep going. And I'm so grateful I was brave enough to like hang up my boots literally and try something else. I had no idea what to do. I just knew I couldn't do that anymore. So I sold my business. I walked away, quit riding. I haven't ridden at all in a long time and I don't miss it either, which is amazing. But like I credit them with my life, right? Yeah. I credit them with my life and I get the chills just thinking about what they've done for me. But I felt indebted to keep doing it because I was gifted. Like I was really good at it. I was a great rider and I could, if I know how to do something, I have the ability to teach it. And so I felt like I had to do it because I was good at it. And then it's like, mm, no, you're also miserable. So I, so I, I went from horses to car sales and bodybuilding. Right. So like, yeah, the, yeah, the natural progression, the natural right? progression <laughs> for a recovering alcoholic psycho <laughs> with her body. Bulimic. Yeah. Oh, and so, so I, I excelled while in OA. No, before okay. OA. Oh, before. Um, okay. And so this I was great. I was a really yeah. good bodybuilder. Yeah, because you were. There was a piece of paper and I just followed the paper and I never mm-hmm. strayed not for a second. Like I literally at the diet, the, the training, I got into steroids because I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm going to win. And, oh, I need to look like that by when, oh, 
how do we make that happen faster? And, you know, I know there's, there would be, there's a lot of controversy about that, but like, for me, it was a totally, it was a hundred percent to change my physical body. It had nothing and it didn't do anything to my mind except drive my obsession with my body. And the unfortunate thing about that is like, that's not real. So your results are not real, but your disease loves those results. Right. And I can remember like, I've never gotten more attention for my body, which was like perfect breeding grounds to continue such harmful behavior, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And now talk about a fraud in AA, right? Like I am, I have sponsees, like I'm doing the deal and I just look more ripped every day. And I was obsessed with myself. Like when I talk about like no God in my life, because I was it, right? This body I'm building was my God. And Mm. I thought I had it made, right? I thought I had it made. And I was dating a guy only slightly older, but he and I did the dance for five plus years. He, he's, I don't even, I don't know if he's alive. I'm assuming he's alive, but really bad junkie was sober when I met him relapsed pretty soon after that. And I just, you know, I'm an Al-Anon too. So that's another podcast, but, um, (laughs) relatable. Yeah. So, um, he was into it. And so like, it was just this enmeshed gross Mm -hmm. thing that I just kept building on. And then he and I eventually broke up. I, I, I want to show. And I just, it was like a slow implosion to the end. Like, and it it just, it emphasized the, the, the restrictive and then the binging because Mm -hmm. like you were encouraged to go Mm -hmm. eat. Right. In between shows or whatever. Right. Oh my God. I would hoard food like a Holocaust survivor. I would go into into any store. Yeah. Things I don't even I, it's not real food. Like the shit that lives on the shelf, that is not real food, right? I would salivate and almost cry because I was just so hungry. And I just started buying it. I'm like, I'm going to eat it on April 19th or whatever the day after mm-hmm. the show. And I literally took coolers of this shit to the show with me. So the second I was done and like on stage, that's all I was thinking about. I was like, you know what? I hope I get second so I can eat sooner. You know, like it was wow. insane. And it just talk about a rat race. You, I literally yeah. was hustling for my body. And yeah. do they event- pay you? No, I mean, not where I, what I was doing eventually, but that's not where people make money. It's all in sponsorship and stuff okay, like that. Okay. Okay. Uh, so no, you don't pay to suffer. You just suffered because you're <laughs> just you like to suffer. Yeah. I wanted to payment. make sure the economics were there, yes. but I, yeah, no, apparently no, not. Okay. Not, not at all. <laughs> and so, you know, I learned a lot. I give it no credit with that. I learned a whole lot about mind and muscle connection and all that and food and all that, but, um, not, that's not good for me. <laughs> someone might pick up on that. So eventually my last show, which I didn't know was going to be my last show was the day I was leaving uh, Pennsylvania to move back to Maryland, which I said I would never do, but my mom has MS and I felt really a really strong pull to go to come home and be near to her. And so my, my last day in Pennsylvania was my last show at the school I graduated from. So it was like this really like stars aligned cosmic experience that I didn't know I was having. And, um, So I did that show. And had I won the show, I would have continued for my pro card, but I got fourth. So I didn't. And I just think like God was looking out for me because had I continued to go that route, I have no idea where I would be right now, but I didn't. And so I moved back and I started, I kept hustling. Like even in between shows, it's a hustle because you're so afraid to lose what you have. Like God forbid, you know, and you cannot, it's not sustainable. That is not a sustainable lifestyle for me. Yeah. And, um, I moved back to Maryland. And it was like the perfect storm. It was like I had been gone for 12 plus years. 
I didn't know anybody anymore. So my, the people who were condoning my behavior were gone. I was mm. all alone. I'm single. I started a new career. Uh, everything was different. And it was like, the gig was up. Like I, there I was. And I was like, I can't keep doing this. Like I just, my voice was changing. Uh, people love my voice. And I really don't know if this is my voice or like courtesy of steroids about six years ago. Like, you're welcome. Like, I really don't know. Like, I can't scream. So God forbid something. No, I sound like a prepubescent boy squeaking. Literally. I can't. No, I can't. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's the that's the lowest. Like, yes, yes, yes. I've never screamed on cue. That was good. Thank you. I'm not doing it again. But um, (laughs) I, so that happened and, but that was happening at random with no, no precursor. So I'd be mid conversation. So I don't throw up anymore. I squeak instead. And so I'm just like, here we go. Right. And people are like, are you smoking again? And I'm like, no, just doing steroids. Um, You know, I just, And I felt, you can feel it. You can feel it, right? And I was practically sterile, right? And I, so I, it was like a slow coming off and it was like basically going through puberty again at 30. Oh God. Awful. So like you're aware of it intellectually, but like emotionally, there's nothing you can do. So I was like, I'm in hell. This is hell. And so I'm, I'm immersed in AA. As soon as I got here, I I got a women's home group and I was like new here. Yeah. Please help. Please help. Send help. Send help. And then that's when, like, I started to be willing to change. And also, like, the players were gone. So there were women around me now who weren't afraid to hurt my feelings and call me out. And so I let go of the su- the substances. And that's when I started through the steps again, right? Me and my ego. I'm like, I have 12 years sober. I'm not doing that shit again. Like, oh, yeah. do you know who I am? Right. They're mm-hmm. like, yeah, we're looking at you. Let's yeah. go back to step yeah, zero. We, right. We see you in all your glory. Sit yeah. down and shut the fuck yeah. up. Yeah. Shut the fuck <laughs> up. We do not want what you have. Trust me. <laughs> Only you do, my sweet friends. The, the promises are not yet true. <laughs> yeah. Keep reading. Keep reading. Go back. Oh. Um, and yeah, so, so, so I met the right people at the right time. And, and I, I just thank God, like I had a foundation of recovery. So like, yeah, yes. I, I knew what to do, even though it was a mess, I was still coming and I was like, I don't know. And so I, I finally just got sick and tired of being sick and tired. And, um, you know, I SOS'd someone that I had that had long-term sobriety and abstinence, which I, I don't like that word. It sounds very confining to me. I honestly identify as being sober from food today. That that feels true for me. Yeah. But I, I reached out within a year of being home because now I'm doing like the diets, right? Whole 30 and paleo. And I'm, I did the badass, whatever, Christmas Abbott. I don't know if you know who she is. She's like the hottest CrossFitter ever. And um, she has like the badass body diet. So I did that, right? I try I try not to look at that stuff. Oh, yeah, fair, <laughs> fair. It doesn't, doesn't help my self-esteem. Yeah, fair, <laughs> right. But I'm like, I want what she has, right? And right, meanwhile, right. like totally ignoring everything inside, all outside. And, you know, I, I, I eventually just admitted defeat. And I did this like four-day emotional rehab basically for Mm. food addicts and I it was psychodrama and it was it was amazing where'd you go it was literally local to us we brought someone up from choices in Florida um Beth Trainer, and 
she's no joke, man. And like, I was the lead the whole week until the last day. Of course I am. Right. Yeah, until obviously. the last day. And then they were like, your turn. I'm like, I'm fine though. Like, I don't even know why I'm here. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, what was revealed to me is that I didn't. And I, and so here's part of the problem when you're in, for me, what I've discovered is that because I've been in recovery for so long, I fucking cheat because I know, <laughs> right? No, totally. Like I've done enough four steps that I know what's wrong with me, uh-huh. right? So totally. I just, I skip steps one, two, and three, and I just go to analysis and then yep. I'm sorry. And like, I just say my core operating mode is I'm not enough and don't think I'm worth it and I'm going right. to be alone. But like, I don't get in there and yeah. I don't like pause because I don't want to feel this way. I'm obsessed with feeling better. So like, I just want to step it away and so, you know, that the work with her, like what was revealed to me is that the reason I feel that way is because at two weeks old, my mom went back to work. And so like, I constantly had to prove that I was enough and I constantly had to prove that I was worth loving and love was shown to me by stuff and body validation. And so, you know, I picked these loser ass men until now because they wouldn't hurt me as bad when it didn't work out. Right. Mm. And like, and like the food was just my means to deal with life on life's terms. Right. Mm -hmm. Like we always say it's not about the food, which it is and it isn't. Like you can't get sober from drinking, drinking, just like you can't get sober from food eating. But that was in June of 2017. I did that like stint. And then I, I started with Overeaters Anonymous, like as soon as I was out and I just well, no, it's not been a linear ride since then. But like, I've been sober from myself, basically. Really, that is what the fuck it is. Sober <laughs> from myself since then. It's the best description. Yeah, I like, like that. How, actually. How, I have to work really hard to be sober from myself. Yeah. You, you wrote a book. I I was reading your blog and you wrote a book about your story and you talk in your blog. And I, I just really loved this because I relate to it so much. You wrote a blog about how, you know, there was the obsession about getting the story out and is it going to be enough and, and like making it into something. Right. And Mm. just that intensity of like always needing to be moving and, and, and like, you know, I'm a, I'm a vibrating, like I just cannot stop moving and how, and, and you talked about, um, in your blog post about how like letting go of that, letting it be what it was going to be. And also, coming back to this idea, which is something that I have had to work on a lot, which is that your body has done so much for you. That like our, And that is something that was taught to me. Like, think about all the things that your body has done for you, has shown up for you, has signaled to you. And, and that was just a really mind-blowing thing for me to hear. I had never seen my body as my partner I had seen my body as as the the villain as the as the thing working against me my whole yeah, life. Yeah, the problem. The problem. You're the reason and my life is fucked up. Exactly. And it was the it was just like the worst thing that ever happened to me and and you know that plague almost. And then the shift in perspective like look what you've put your body through and how it showed up for you and how it, you know, etc cetera, etc. Cetera. So I I wanted to touch on that about how you know, the combination of that realization around the book and then, and then, you know, and then your body, how how that, how those two things related to one another. Well, I needed you to say that today, even though I may have said that I needed to hear it, right? Which (laughs) is the, the beauty of writing because, you know, 
again, we have a body, like it's a non-negotiable. I have this body. And while I'm so much kinder to her today, I still forget that she's on my side. And I like to call her that because we're one, like this is, she's my girl. Like this is how we're experiencing life together. And so, you know, when you said that, I immediately thought back, well, when I think of the fucked up way I've been thinking lately about how I need to change my body again. And, you know, after bodybuilding, I got into endurance sports and obstacle course racing. And so I remember, you know, so in 2019 in the fall, I won in a ultra uh, obstacle course race. So like, and I remember the morning of that. And so anyone who doesn't know, that's 31 miles, 70 obstacles, 10,000 feet of elevation. No big deal. So, uh, yeah, crazy. So I, I remember in the morning, like comparing my body. Wait, you ran 31 miles. Sorry. My brain was okay. No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Nine and a half hours. I was out there doing the deal. Just running, just running, hanging out with Allison. Um, I don't know if I'm ever going to do that again. Um, But I remember that morning, like crying and comparing my, my body outsides to outsides. Right. And like, I can't do this. Right. Look at them. Look at me. I don't even know what I look like. I will never know what I look like. Right. I'm so skewed. But then, so I win. Right. And I didn't, I didn't know that the the whole time I just like kept going. And yeah. uh, I, I never saw another woman and I just thought like, I don't know where these bitches are, but I'm going to keep going because it's getting right. cold, right? It was like snowing. Right. It was crazy. And so oh my God. I remember I was done and I was in the shower and I just started hysterically crying, apologizing to my body because wow. I'm like, look what we just did. Like, look what you just did. And I have shit on you my entire life. Like, I am so sorry. And, um, you know, I, to be honest, got so far off track. I think what you asked me because I was so captivated by what you said. It like brought, I was like, oh my God, I need to remember that. So can you ask me whatever the hell you asked yes. me? Yes. Sorry. sorry. Um, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get better and more clear with my questions. Cause I, no, I do that. At a I just, I heard what you said and just like brain just grabbed. How does, how did the book, I mean, everything in our life brings up our body, right? Because that's who we are. But I used to think that I, if I got a B, that was because I was fat. And if I was, oh, skinny, yeah. if, if I was skinny, I would have gotten an A. But how does the book and needing to get your story out and the obsession around and the concern around that and kind of, how did that relate to your body? How did that bring you back to your body? How, how oh did my you, gosh. You so it? it's interesting. People are like, how'd you do it? I'm like, just start writing. Like, I don't know what else to tell you. Literally, you just start writing. Like I wrote my book in a year or less. And I didn't know why at the time, other than like ego, right? Somebody interviewed me for their book. It's called The Heart of Recovery. And I'm in there and he was like, your story is pretty amazing. You should write a book. Let me know if you need help. I'm like, bitch, please. I got it. And so I wrote my own book and um, I found it like really cathartic and I really do feel, and I know I used this word before, but indebted to let other women and men know that like, it's okay. You are not broken. There is nothing wrong with you, whether you're sober and suffering or not. But I also wrote it because like the general public could afford to learn why some people don't eat bread at dinner, right? Or mm. like why some people pack their food mm, um, yes. to go to the party and yeah. like, you know, because I look normal. I look like when people are like, you're an ovaries and honest, you don't look like you should be an ovaries right. and honest. Right. Like, well, hopefully if I'm working yeah, well, the program, <laughs> yeah, that's right? kind of the point, like, right? 
but like, what does, so like, what does that mean? Right. Like, and, and we're so obsessed with like, if you're, if you don't have a certain makeup that you're okay. Mm -hmm. Right. And like, for me, I'm like, the better I look, probably the worse I'm doing if you want to know the truth. Right. So, um, I, I just, I, I felt compelled to send the message. Like, it's not about that. And it was interesting writing it. Cause then I read it, uh, you know, after, and I'm like, I had a, I had a period where I, and I, I've already used this word again too, but I felt like a fraud because my eating practices are so different than they were when I wrote that book and I got started. And I think like, that is the blessing and curse for me of food recovery because like alcoholism and drug addiction is no use ever, period. Like that's very easy to understand, but food is very gray, right? And like God to me, blessed me with this because I struggle so hard in the gray. I am mm. such a black and white person. Me it's too. fucking yes or no, now yeah. or never. Yep. What don't you understand about that? And that's part, OA has been so, I, I was laughing when you were like, I was introduced to OA my first year. I was introduced to OA my first yep. year. I, I literally would joke that like, oh, this is my quarterly OA meeting, like yep. for, for 10 years yep. or whatever, before yep. I would come back. And the gray of OA was the part that, of food in OA was the part that was so difficult for me. And yes. I would try all these food plans that didn't work for me, but they worked for her and I want to look like her. So I'm going to try her food plan, but that her food plan is not my food plan. And also when skinny bitches would come into OA, I was like, get your fucking ass out of here. What are you doing here? You don't know. know. No, I would be like, what, how, how, and that was the, the skinniest people in the room who were suffering taught me the most about eating because they would describe it. And the only difference was for whatever reason, their you know, their body just didn't do the same thing. And I was like, Oh wow. Like you are suffering the way I'm suffering. And I thought that if you just take the body fat away, you know, I didn't get it. I didn't get that you could have my problem too. It was really eye opening. And OA that, that gray is just so that's why I really liked the alcoholic food, like coming to terms with alcoholic foods for me, because that I don't have a problem overeating lettuce, right? Like that's just not, you know what I mean? That's not what's happening. So when I could get clear about like, look, this food, (laughs) this, this ingredient is the thing that makes me a lunatic. Yes. And I'm eating other foods because it wasn't all food. It wasn't every food, you know, right. Some people it is, but for me, not. So I think that that was that, but that was putting it into black and white, right? I had, I, I was just desperate for black and white and, and that's helped me. But I actually love that your food plan is different than it was when you wrote your book because, and I think it's actually like, I wish you could include it in your book because it's such an important point about supporting people in eating disorder recovery, which is don't fucking bring up that their food was different six months ago than it is now. They know that. They think about that every single day. Just support whatever the food is today. And if that's like, obviously, if that's part of the recovery, people don't understand. I mean, in my life, I've had so many different food plans. Oh, yeah. Like that it's, you know, you can't keep up. So how I think from the outside, it looks like, well, this is just another iteration of like some crazy food plan you're doing. And that piece when you're talking about like how to support people, how to, 
you know, when they, when they're packing their own food. I mean, I get that a lot, like with my family, Mm -hmm. I think that's a real, like, it's actually really fantastic that your food has changed since then, because that's actually part of supporting people in food recovery is that flexibility and not forcing them to feel like they shouldn't have to change their food. Right. And that's why I identify better with sobriety from myself, but eating and body, because like my disease loves rigidity, right? My food addiction loves rigidity. I was a bodybuilder, right? I can prep food. I can pack food. I can follow a piece of paper all day long, but God forbid I have to go out and and focus on the people and not Mm -hmm. the thing I'm eating. And be a little bit flexible and deal. And that's life, right? Like food recovery is life. Life is great. Food recovery mm-hmm. for me is great. And so I was not progressing from a spiritually and emotionally connected, loving place by being rigid with my food because mm-hmm. I was constantly obsessed with starting over, doing it right. I ate a little extra. That means I'm failed. I relapsed right. or like I ate that and I wasn't, you know, and it was like, this has to be portable and sustainable for life. Like I'm very clear on that. And I know it's a meal at a time, but fuck that. I got it. This is forever, right? I have, right. To, I have to figure this out. I've seen what I look like, right? When it's not working out. I know mm-hmm. how absent I am from my life, sober or not, when I'm in the food, right? Like I look like I'm listening to you. I promise I'm not, right? Yep. I am, yep. I am, not a worker amongst workers. I am not extending the principles. Like I can't. And so, you know, my food and my recovery has gotten very flexible. And so, you know, I, I wrote the book and then I, I published the book and I was rereading it and I was like, Oh God. And like, but I also like extend that compassion. You start where you need to start. Like I mm-hmm. had to start with a very clear list of behaviors and mm-hmm. foods. That's step zero slash one, right? Like you've got to get real clear, like you said, about what your foods are and what you do. And for me, again, like I said, it's behavior modification with food. A lot of it, like, yes, it's step work, but like you've got to insert new behaviors. So like Mm -hmm. for me, it was always the end of the day. Like I was, I knew if I started eating midday, like game over. So I just waited. I I was really disciplined. I was disciplined about waiting to binge, you know, um, (laughs) I mean, but, but it was you like, get it where you get it. Yeah, but it, that was like my, that's how I would come down after a hard day. That's how I yeah. would decompress. That's how mm-hmm. I would not feel. And and it's it's a celebratory tool. It's a punishing tool, right? It, it was everything, right? It's what you do, right? So, you know, over the years, it's it's been a, it's, un, it's a relearning and unlearning. Like my food plan in the beginning was very generic. You know, it was, it was, I, I am a huge advocate of seeing a professional for your food because no one body is the same. I pursue athletics somewhat seriously at times and some people don't do anything. Like right. we have very different needs, you know, we're different ages, we're different hormones, right? So like, and for me, like my, my point of a food plan is to learn how to live life in between the meals, right? So if mm-hmm. I'm sitting there thinking about what I'm going to eat, I, what no, I think, like you said, like, that's all I fucking think about. I can't remember, you know, how long it took to recover from my concussion, but I can probably remember what I ate on January 17th of 19, you know, 86. Right. <laughs> and, and that's true. Sadly that I'm like, Oh yeah, I remember that. Cause I ate, blah, blah, blah. but that's how my brain is wired. And so, you know, for me, it's, it's, um, it was unlearning behaviors and starting really easy. Like here are your, for me. So coming out of bodybuilding, I ate six meals a day, which my sponsor 
showed me that that's just more time thinking about food. So then I, I got to four meals a day, which I am today. And like in the beginning, it was just real generic measurements, like no, not a weight scale for me, but everything else was just generic. Don't worry about what it is. Just have one of that. And it was like, I, I never ate. And for a while I was, I was gluten-free. I was everything free for a while, like sugar-free, like, re- like what Michael was talking about, read that read the labels. And it's real depressing when you start and horrifying because there's sugar and everything. Oh my God. Yeah. But over the, over time, um, as my athletics pursued, cause like there's, and I, a part of me didn't pursue recovery sooner. Cause I thought that that would be taken from me. Like mm. I genuinely love moving my body. Yeah. I genuinely love doing things that are ridiculously, stupidly hard and mm-hmm. not enjoyable for most humans. Yeah. Um, and I thrive in those environments. I'm like, let's yeah. go. And um, I love shaping my body. I love, I love it all. And so, you know, for me, the recovery piece is not changing my training plan based on how I feel, right? Not adding or subtracting food or training based on how I feel. And so I have a professional trainer and I have a professional nutrition. And the combination is that's part of my support team, right? An extension of OA. And so, you know, in the beginning, it was just really generic. And, and but eventually I had to find a, a different way of eating to support the level of activity that I was doing. And so I got into macros, right? Which at, I was scared to do at first because I thought it would make me too obsessive because, you know, macros are as precise as it gets, right? And so, but I have found I've been doing it for almost two years now that it's, it's awesome. I just love it. And I, I, and my, my menu has expanded. So I've gotten more rigid in how I calculate my food, but more, more flexible in what I eat. And I literally eat anything except those processed sugary desserts, baked goods, shit like that. But I do eat sugar now. Um, I eat jelly. I eat, well, fruit. I eat, I don't scan the ingredients as, as thoroughly and I don't have a reaction. As long as it fits your macros, you don't find that you have a reaction to the sugar. Interesting. And, but I will say like, I spent years in recovery building that foundation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And like, and then got a sponsor who was real flexible. And I was like, you're terrifying, but I want what you have. Right. Right. Like, right. Right. And, and she's been so loving, which is such, that's what I need in my recovery. And that's why I do sobriety from food. Like I need love in place of rigidity. And I'm I, like, you've got to be honest with yourself, right? Like if I'm fisting nuts, like something's off, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's like a little here or there or whatever. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. I'm, that's going to happen. I'm, I plan to be here for a while. So like that shit's going to happen. I've got to figure it out and how to be okay with it and and love myself for me. Like that's yeah. just for me. And, and, you know, like lately I've, I've been like on, in this dance with, and so like, I didn't diet for the first forever. Cause I only ever dieted and I dieted last summer for the first time. And I saw a new side of my disease in recovery that I hadn't like a refocus on body. Like I got to a place where I didn't love how I looked or felt, but I was unwilling to go backward. And I was unwilling to sacrifice the freedom I had gotten in my recovery, but I got to a place. So I won that ultra a month later, I broke my leg. I had surgery. I had, I have a plate and eight screws in my ankle. I couldn't walk for three months. Then COVID came. So like, you know, the hustle with the book has like coincided with this, also this element of like physically I was disabled, literally couldn't do anything, which 
thank God for recovery. I actually didn't lose my mind. And I was like, because for me, my meditation is always in movement. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. well, that's not fucking happening, right? I am on a scooter and crawling up the stairs. And so like, and I was next to my kitchen all day. And it's like, I didn't think about food once. I wanted to restrict naturally because I'm like, not doing anything. So I like doubled down with my, with my professionals and they were like, this is when you need to keep eating. Like you need to heal. And I did what they said. And I was just yeah. like, I'm going to trust that everybody in the universe wants what's right for me and I'm going to heal. And, you know, I didn't binge, I didn't purge, I didn't starve, I didn't do anything. And I just think what a testament to my recovery and just, um, and I didn't lose my mind, not exercising. So that's where I really also knew mm. like my relationship with training is training. It's I'm not right. doing it as a reward or a punishment. Right. And I was OK. Right. And it was like I got a new perspective on body and nourishment and the steps. Right. And then I was released from jail and then COVID happens. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now races and competition are taken away. My book is out there. And so initially I, I thought I had to promote my book because why would you publish a book and not? <laughs> right. So that's part number one. Right. Yeah. Uh, that makes sense. But then there's also this part of of where like my eating disorder and alcoholism was. It's like, I'm not enough if I don't achieve this. Mm-hmm. So like if I'm not the next, you know, Glennon Doyle, mm-hmm. I didn't do anything with my fucking life. So but then I started to be reconnected with what happened with the horses. Like I love writing. It is really cathartic. I know I'm a good writer. So I if part of me feels like I have to do it. But then I was like, wait a second. Like if this isn't bringing me joy, I don't have to do it. And so like I was hustling hard for my book, freaking Instagram. I hate Instagram. I don't know why I can't not suddenly have food pictures and abs. Like, I don't know how that happens. I'm like, no, just give me memes of holier than thou goodness. Like I don't need mac and cheese and then a six pack. Like how does this happen? So anyway, like I, I just... I, I had a good run with it and not saying I'm giving up, right? I'm here, I'm talking, but, uh, and I love this, but I, I needed to like slow down a little bit and back off and like get back into me and my body. And like, why am I doing this? You know, I, I dieted last summer and I lost weight that most people would say I didn't need to lose, but I also have learned like, it's our body. We're allowed to do whatever we want with it. And I'm mm-hmm. in a place of, of awareness, but also respect to like, God wants me to feel good about myself. So if I do this safely and don't, it doesn't distract and detract from how I am in my everyday life, it's okay. Just know there will probably be consequences. Like I'm more obsessed. I am more, you know, distracted. If there's a takeaway, you know, it's, I spent years building the foundation before I started dabbling in anything else body-wise, right? Like I, I, dieting, I think is fine as long as, well, of course it's fine, right? Like it is just fine. But for me, it's fine as long as it doesn't rob me of my connection, right? And take me away from my life. And I'm still working my way back because I lost more weight than I needed. It just happened. And then the demon was back like, this feels good. Loose Mm. pants, don't look sexy, feel fucking awesome, right? Mm. And it just was like, I started to... To, it started to grab me again. But what mm-hmm. I will say is because I had such a strong foundation of doing the next thing right with my body and food that like I never strayed from my food plan 
I never changed my training. I never stopped with my support team. And like, there's a lot to be said for that with food recovery. Like, yeah, yeah. no matter what, I don't skip a meal or add a meal. No matter what, I don't whatever. And me personally, I plan my meals a week ahead because it's just easier for me. I plan things I want to eat and look forward to. Then I have my groceries. It's done. I can prep my food. Fine. Like the whole point again for me is to stop thinking about food and body so I can live in between those meals. And so that's a practice that I have. And, you know, so I I listened to that damn sugar addiction podcast and I was like, hmm, I wonder. So I I went down and I'm not blaming you and Dr. Collins, as I know you wouldn't take that on anyway. But (laughs) nope, I did start doing some research, right? (laughs) And then I was like, hold on, this is my disease grabbing onto the next sexy thing right? Because living in the gray fucking sucks right now, right? Right. Like COVID, I don't have a competition. I slowed down with my book stuff. Who am I? Right? Because if I'm not pursuing, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just not. And so, you know, the book has been even more of a testament to recovery because I've, I've been able to kind of let go And then like, I'll get a message from somebody like my client has this in their hands and is crying because they didn't think anybody else felt this way. Right. And I'm like, that was why I wrote it. That is why I wrote it. Not to be Glennon Doyle, because there's only one of her, but like to help someone. Right. Like you are not alone. And I say the F word enough that people are like, all right, she gets it. You know, (laughs) Um, it's not holier than now. I'm fixed then. And I also wanted to write it from the perspective of like, we are always recovering. Like I have not figured this out. Right. So like I got grabbed by the podcast and I was like, no, I actually am not white knuckling my food. I'm okay. My food's okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But then like, I start to get like psychoanalytical about like, well, am I gassier than normal? Am I bloated (laughs) or am I full? And then like, So literally today, I was about to pay someone $700 for the low FODMAP diet, which like after years of working so hard to eat more flexibly is not how I want to go. Now, I'm willing to do what I need to do for my health, but thank God my recovery voice is stronger to be like, you're just uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And that seems like the next right thing disguised as a healthy motive. And bless my goddamn sponsor. She's always like, what are your intentions? I'm like, bitch, to lose 10 pounds, right? And it's like, is that what God wants? Like, is that part of recovery? And like, that's a hard part of recovery. Like, but that is recovery. And I'm like, okay, the great thing about the man I have in my life today, who's younger than me by just a little, but oh my God, right? Is like, he is not swayed by my emotional frothy appeal or my body changing. Like he's here for me, right? right. And like, I'm not a dud. I'm aware of that. But like, he didn't say one thing when I lost weight. He didn't like get more excited. In fact, I'm pretty sure he was like, didn't notice, you know, like, yeah, but yeah. what a blessing. Like he eats whatever he wants. If he's full, he stops. If it doesn't taste good, he throws it away. Like not my language. Like yeah, you yeah, started absolutely. eating, you finish eating, you finish all of what you're eating, right? <laughs> you oh, don't like it good, too bad. Yeah. Too bad. Get, eat more and eat all of that. And, right. um, he, but he supports me, right? He supports me and he just wants me to be happy. So like, you want a pizza today? Fine. You're going to eat celery? Fine. Just let me know what we're doing. And, um, you know, he's here for me. And like that, I know I, my recovery attracted him. So like mm, this whole yeah. body thing is, is between me and God, right? Like I, and I'm allowed to change it if I don't like it, but it's no longer a response to like, it'll make my life better. 
or I'm, I'm enough if, right? Like I'm awesome and my body's awesome. I can have both, right? Like it's no longer I'm awesome because or only if my body is awesome. Right. Learning to see your body in a whole, whole as a, you know, co-conspirator in your happiness. Your friends. Yeah. You're for, I like that you call it her, like you, you separate, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's harder to hurt somebody else in our, you know, for our case, like if we identified ourselves, especially as caretakers, it's harder to hurt someone else. And if we separate, then that might be, that's an, I like that. What is, do you have for people who maybe don't know much about eating disorders, how does someone, like, I want to wrap up with a, a takeaway and the takeaway being if someone heard this and they're like, well, I just, I don't know if food's a problem. Like it might be a problem if they're curious about it. How would someone go about figuring out if they have a food problem? Oh, geez. In my experience, no one comes to OA on a field trip, right? And I'm not saying like go to an Overeaters Anonymous meeting, but I, I've typically not met people questioning their food or relationship if there isn't something to question. So like if you're in that space, find a community, find some kind of support. So tell someone, right? Could be a 12-step group, could be, I know you guys have different groups. It could be, mm-hmm. uh, there's so many local hospitals and outpatients, mm-hmm. Google, right? Like, where do I go if right. I'm struggling with food, right? What I wouldn't do is like read a book and then do a diet, right? Because right. like that is only addressing the symptom potentially and not the reason why, right? Which is why recovery is behavioral and not topical. Like diets are great, but they don't address why you're, why you're, trying to change your body or you're struggling. So I always like say, share with someone and then find a, find a group, find a, find a community. Awesome. Where can people, uh, can you tell us the name of your book and where people can find your book? Sure. So it's called the addict in aisle seven and it is on Amazon and it's got a pretty little butterfly above a shopping cart going down the aisle. Um, and it's also on Kindle. Okay. So people can download it and Kindle. Okay. And um, so on Amazon, and then do you have any, do you have a website that you yeah, want to tell? Yeah. So um, my blog, which I haven't written a blog in a while, but there's lots, there's lots of goodies. Um, I seek truths.com. Okay. If, I mean, if you, well, if you Google my name, you're going to see butt shots for bodybuilding horses <laughs> and then my blog. <laughs> so you'll get it all. You'll see it all. I've lived a lot of lives. Sounds like the full package. Full package. (laughs) Allison, you're fantastic. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you. Thank you, Ashley. This was so fun. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by lionrock.life. Lionrock.life is a recovery community offering free online support group meetings, useful recovery information, and entertainment. Visit www.lionrock.life to view the meeting schedule and find additional resources. Find the joy in recovery at lionrock.life.